Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This episode is sponsored by Epsilon. Today, I'm delighted to announce a unique opportunity for one lucky listener of Let's Talk Loyalty to enjoy a complimentary workshop with the loyalty experts at Epsilon. One brand every month will have the chance for a unique, independent loyalty lab, a review of your loyalty program, where Epsilon will share their expert ideas how to drive your program's performance to a whole new level. This workshop is a powerful way for you to measure and then increase the return on your investment in your loyalty program. So to apply, head over to letstalkloyalty.com forward slash epsilon and enter your details. Hello and welcome to episode 297 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, we're learning about a superb new loyalty study from our friends in Epsilon, showcasing a holistic new way to measure the relative loyalty of leading consumer brands in Australia. This research is called the Epsilon Loyalty Index, and today's interview explains how the underlying drivers of loyalty are shaping both consumers' attitudes and, of course, their behaviours. We discuss some of the key findings in each of the four categories researched with this proprietary methodology. Beauty, apparel and grocery retail, as well as some learnings from the banking sector. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Eugene Yap, who is Epsilon's Head of Strategy Consulting and Analytics for the Asia-Pacific region based in Singapore. And if you're interested in hearing more about this Australian brand research, we have a dedicated website and podcast for you to enjoy. Simply head on over to www.epsilonloyaltyindex.com where you can download the report and listen to the dedicated podcast of insights. So first and foremost, Eugene, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to talk to you today about the Epsilon Loyalty Index. Um, It's a really big piece of work and a very impressive initiative. Uh, Before we get into, um, I suppose, even explaining what that report is, as you know, we always start this show talking about our favorite loyalty programs. So I will ask you, first of all, Eugene, what is your favorite loyalty program? Yeah, thanks, Paula. That's a great question. So, well, since I just took uh, Singapore Airlines uh, just a couple of days ago, I would say Chris Flyer is top of mind. And I think the reason why it's a great program for me is because the whole Singapore Airlines brand experience is so embedded into the program. Mm. Uh, it's such a solid uh, proposition as, as a brand that it, you know, people really aspire to the program, right? It really kind of drives behaviors and drives connection uh, with the brand. Mm. The other thing I love about Chris Flyer is that you know, even though they're doing so well, they have not stopped innovating. So I believe they're one of the first uh, programs or airline programs to actually actually uh, kind of put their app on the blockchain. Wow, cool. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. 
it's been something that so many people have talked about and we're all struggling for for the use case and and the execution so sound like yeah. chris flyer are, are way ahead of the pack yeah they, they've done it <laughs> wow great well you've added uh, i suppose more um, intention from my side i've been talking about having chris flyer on the the program for a long time so we'll yeah. certainly make sure to uh, to reach out to them and do that so anyway back to our loyalty index um mm-hmm. i know there's an awful lot of focus from an epsilon perspective both in asia pacific and specifically in the australian market so you've invested in this incredible comprehensive piece of research, um, mm-hmm. which is really to understand exactly what's going on in terms of consumer perceptions of loyalty in Australia, which I think we all know is a very mature market. So tell us a bit about the loyalty index, Eugene, which I know you've been leading. And where did this idea come from to, to do this research? Yeah, th- thanks, Paula, for that question. So I, I think there are a lot of studies out there that go out and ask uh, consumers what they're looking for in a loyalty program. Um, but we, you know, we are not sure if that really answers the question of what is driving uh, true loyalty, right, among consumers. I think, you know, that we, we felt that those studies are quite lacking to some extent in, in terms of really uh, quantifying uh, how some of these loyalty drivers actually influence uh, behaviors. Um, so the, the Epsilon Loyalty Index is, was really designed to answer three questions, right? The first is how do we begin to measure true consumer loyalty, right? Um, uh, w- what kind of behaviors uh, do we define as loyal? Uh, loyalty rate. Um, the second question that we wanted to address was what kind of attitudes then predict uh, those behaviors? Mm. And, and lastly, how can we influence those attitudes, right? So that's in a nutshell, what we're trying to do with the study. And mm-hmm. of course, the, the, the intention is to co- create some kind of a quantitative benchmark uh, that brands can track themselves against over time. Yes, yes, that's a brilliant explanation. So thank you for being so succinct. What I also really liked about it as well, Eugene, is the fact that you do plan to do this on a recurring basis. So mm-hmm. we're obviously launching the very first Epsilon Loyalty Index today for Australia. And then the plan I know is, you know, over time that this will be repeated. I'm sure it'll be like an annual basis, but brands can actually measure their performance, as you said, on the key drivers, the key attitudes, and ultimately the behaviors. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So tell us exactly where did you focus your attention? Because it's a busy world out there. Uh, lots of different mm-hmm. sectors, lots of loyalty programs. As we've said, Australia is incredibly busy from a loyalty perspective. So what is the loyalty index focusing on in terms of consumer attitudes? Right. So I, I think for this pilot study, we're focusing on uh, four categories, uh, apparel, beauty, uh, groceries, as well as uh, consumer banking. Okay, okay. So we're going to get into a bit of detail on all of those. Um, I also really liked that you, you're splitting down, I suppose, two different types of loyalty drivers. And I just would love if you would explain this, Eugene, this idea of fundamentals versus accelerators, because again, there's different languages, um, I suppose, internationally as well. But will you just yeah. talk us through what does Epsilon decide or define as a loyalty fundamental? versus a loyalty accelerator as we get into looking at these four verticals. 
Yeah, I think that's a great question, Paula. So in conceptualizing this study, uh, we wanted to move away from the narrow concept of uh, kind of just lo looking at loyalty programs, right? We would really wanted to understand what are all the drivers of uh, behavioral loyalty among consumers. And, and we believe that goes beyond the loyalty program is the entire brand and customer experience. And so some we, we believe that uh, in order to develop this model, it's essential for us then to look at some of the fundamentals or, or basic uh, drivers of loyalty, like price, place, product, service, uh, and promotions, those fundamentals of marketing and customer experience that will certainly uh, in, impact uh, behavioral loyalty among consumers, right? And mm. then we can layer a uh, on top of that, those uh, potential levers that we can uh, use to further accelerate loyalty, right? Things around rewards, incentives, um, around uh, education and recognition, right? Things, typical levers that we have uh, in a loyalty program. For sure, for sure. And given the amount of detail, I guess we should immediately let people know, Eugene, that this is all available to download in a beautifully packaged presentation. So we're not expecting people who are listening to the show today to uh, to capture all of that immediately because there is a lot of thinking going into it. So we'll be talking through exactly how to get access to this loyalty index as we go through. Um, yep. So, so that's super important. The other thing I think in terms of, you know, understanding the context, this whole idea about, you know, the various ways that you're measuring behavior and mm -hmm. measuring as well attitudinal loyalty. So would you mind just explaining, I suppose, those two kind of key sections as well for us? Because there yeah. are lots of different ways to measure loyalty, whether it's market share or whatever. So Again, I know this Epsilon Loyalty Index have, has a very specific framework in order yep. to simplify an awful lot of data into a simple number. So will you just talk us through those particular measures, again, about behavioral and attitudinal uh, definitions? Yeah, sure. Uh, so in, in terms of measuring behavioral loyalty, uh, there are really kind of three factors that we looked at. So one uh, is the spending of the customer on the brand relative to their overall spend in the category. And the other one is how long they have been buying from the brand, right? So if you look at these two uh, factors, uh, they, they essentially approximate lifetime value of the customer, right? So those are, it's a common way of measuring uh, loyalty to some extent. Um, the other factor that we added is and just because in this study, we're looking at brands um, that were cutting across uh, multiple subcategories, right? For example, apparel could include uh, shoes, belts, uh, you know, shirts and dresses and things like that. And mm. so the hypothesis here, again, is that the more subcategories that uh, consumers are buying from you, um, the, the more sticky the relationship is and, and the more loyal they are. So that, that was the additional factor that we looked at in, in, in addition to kind of the typical lifetime value value uh, kind of uh, factors that, uh, you know, uh, loyalty marketers tend to, to look at. For sure. Yeah. And I do think that's particularly important in my experience with the likes of, I know we're going to talk about banking, for example. So yeah. when I know I have multiple financial products with one institution, then that stickiness is is extremely um, strong, I would say. Exactly. And yes, I guess it's, it's less so, of course, when we talk about categories like apparel. So definitely mm -hmm. important to understand um, exactly that. And then, of course, we're going to talk about uh, share of mind, share of heart and share of value as well as we go through. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So I was gonna go there. Um, so, so in terms of attitudinal loyalty, again, we have uh, a, a framework, and and this is very much uh, kind of based on our kind of value-led uh, approach to loyalty, right? So there are kind of yeah. broadly three categories of attitudes that we're looking at. One is share of mind. So whether you are top of mind uh, for the consumer, do you kind of drive intention to uh, for repeat visits? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether you know your, your customer uh, is willing to recommend you to others, right? So those are the three factors that we covered as part of share of mind. Yeah. Um, and then we look at some factors that represented share of heart, right? So for example, whether they had an enjoyable experience with, with the brand, mm. um, whether they feel that their values are aligned uh, with the brand. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, is share of value. So this is in terms of whether they think, you know, the brand is, is value for money and they're, they're being rewarded for their relationship with the brand. Yes. Yeah. And again, that definitely varies hugely by, by category of spend. So, um, yeah, no, super yep. important. And you've reminded me as well, Eugene, I, I do think there is so much talk about, you know, the impact of the pandemic on consumer behavior. So mm-hmm. I just think this is actually very timely, I guess, to to really put a line in the sand in terms of understanding exactly yeah. where are people at now. So I think, thank God, we can all kind of almost say we're, we're through the other side of this um, pandemic we've faced over the last couple of years. So definitely time to take a fresh look at loyalty and see exactly mm-hmm. where, where pe- what people are feeling. Yep. So tell us about the research. You know, who did you research? Um, how many of them? So give us a sense of the scale of the uh, the loyalty index. Yeah, so for this study, we covered uh, 2,000 consumers in Australia. Obviously, uh, you know, as part of the study design, we, we, we took care to ensure that it kind of represented the population in terms of age and gender and income distribution. Okay. Okay. So broadly representative, keep it all very simple, very straightforward to, to understand. Um, yep. And then just talk us through the, I suppose, categories of, you know, various degrees. Of course, we all know that there's so many different levels of loyalty. So mm-hmm. what kind of um, uh, level would you say, or how did you classify people in terms of how loyal they may be in one sector versus another? Yeah, so we really kind of looked at it with two lens. One is, uh, you know, kind of a slightly more segmented approach, right, to to looking at uh, general attitudes towards brand loyalty. So for for each of the categories that we covered, we essentially tried to uh, ask the respondents to self-select into one of the loyalty segments. So one is what we call transactionals, like people who mainly shop at a brand because of the price. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, on the other end, we have the, the true loyalists, as we call them, uh, people who are essentially buy from a single brand are kind of emotionally connected to the brand. And then, of course, you have kind of a couple of uh, two categories in between. One is uh, multi-brand uh, loyalists. So they're loyal to a couple of brands and kind of switch between them from time to time. And then the last category being um, explorers, right? So these people are not buying primarily because of price, like the transactionals, uh, but they're buying because, you know, there could be a new product, there could be some kind of new innovation from different brands and they're not particularly loyal. It just depends on what suits their need and context or whether, you know, it's accessible at the point of time. Absolutely. Yeah. And that covers the full scale then. Absolutely. So yeah, good that they yeah. have the opportunity to identify how they're feeling because again, depends, you know, my grocery spend and as we talked about our banking spend to totally different decision-making processes. 
Yep. So um, the next point I wanted to make, Eugene, is we are going to be intentionally vague, I think, today on some of the detail in the report. And mm -hmm. I think that that's important, probably if you don't mind explaining. But I guess, you know, just to set the context from my perspective, you know, it really is important that all of the brands that were featured in this study First and foremost, I think the key point is it is the consumer perspective. Um, and of course, that's totally subjective and changes over time. But what we don't want to do is kind of start naming brands uh, because, again, it's the first time we've done it. But this information is available um, directly, I guess, from Epsilon further down the track um, in a more private setting. But I think today we're going to talk more generally about, you know, how is the category performing? So is that a good explanation in terms? of um, what we're going to talk through in terms of each of the brands within each category. Yes, Paula, I think you kind of uh, kind of uh, spoke my mind exactly, right? So I think the reason why uh, we didn't cover uh, names in this study, at least in a public report, is because this is the first time we're running the study. And, you know, we the, the objective here is not to feel make any brand feel bad about their performance. Uh, it's really a way to have facilitate that one-on-one -on -one discussion with the brand in terms of how they're performing and how they can do better. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, I think one key takeaway from the study as well is that there are multiple paths ways to loyalty right so what works for one brand may not work for another so while it's good to know where you stand relative to you know all the general brands in, in the market um, it's more important to kind of focus on your strategy and your proposition to your consumers yeah yeah and i love that as well just about facilitating a discussion so i think that is something that we have talked about on this show before in terms of the value led approach to loyalty that that epsilon is very much i suppose investing heavily in making sure that they're adding value i guess to the overall thinking of loyalty marketers who listen to the show Yep. So let's get into our first category, Eugene. Um, we're going to talk specifically about apparel retail. So all of the beautiful fashion brands. I know there's lots of trends. Again, a lot of them affected specifically by, I suppose, global factors. But what did you, um, I suppose, find most interesting in terms of understanding the loyalty index for this particular category? Yeah, so I think what's interesting about apparel is that uh, across all the categories that we have looked at is one of the highest uh, weightage, right, in terms of share of heart, right? So this cool. is one of the categories where that emotional connection with the brand is most important relative to, say, for example, the grocery category. Totally. Um, and I think this is, yeah, it's important, I guess, for brands in this uh, space to to take note. I think the other one that is kind of cutting across uh, most categories, to be honest, is is the idea that uh, participation is 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 quite an important um, driver of loyalty, and and the way that we've defined uh, participation here is really kind of uh, the sense of building that special community uh, with people who buy from your brand, as well as kind of ensuring you have this kind of two way uh, feedback, right, with 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 the uh, your consumers, right, Un understanding uh, what they like or the like about shopping with your brand. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting insight, Eugene, because I think we often think with apparel that it's, you know, it's all about the discounts, it's all about the sales. So it seems to be quite different in terms of the, the conclusions you're, you're, you're finding. Yeah, I think the other thing I'll add as well is that um, 
alignment to value so for so for consumers to feel that the the brand uh, reflects their values uh, this is actually uh, one of the most uh, important uh, attitudes uh, that, that predict behavioral loyalty in this category as well yeah, yeah. And I think we've all seen it, I suppose, as marketeers, the importance of sustainability and, as you said, values, you know, of the individual brands. I think that is something that people do feel is super important for apparel or high street retailers, as we might call it in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, then, in terms of the various brands, I know for the whole loyalty index, there was about 40. So I'm kind of guessing there was maybe 10 leading apparel retailers in this particular category. So was there specific um, brands that stood out versus others? How did the whole category stack up in terms of, um, you know, the, the index overall? Yeah, so I think for the apparel category, and this uh, just to kind of uh, caveat that uh, we focus very much on multi-brand apparel companies, so uh, okay. retailers who are covering, uh, yeah, essentially stocking multiple brands, right, uh, okay. at their stores. Yeah. So to be honest, uh, generally the category uh, probably underperform. Um, you know, when we look at how some of the brands in other categories perform, right? So, we, we uh, is the LE score that we have defined or the Epsilon Loyalty Index score is, is between zero to hundred, and, and most of the brands uh, within the apparel category were sitting kind of below seventy and just above sixty. Okay, yeah, and I think seventy was, I suppose, what what you guys were thinking was the important kind of baseline in terms yep. of excellence. So, so really, there's a lot of attention I, I've seen in the report in terms of you know which kind of brands reached that threshold, and yep. I think of this there, w- there was only two that 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 went beyond it. So, sounds like there's um, ripe for for maybe disruption in the apparel category in the Australian loyalty market. If I'm if I'm reading it correctly. Yeah, so just to clarify, I think all the brands are kind of set below 70 um, in the apparel category, but there were brands in the beauty and, and, and banking category that, that went above that. Okay, okay. Yeah. So room for disruption, room for, um, I suppose, more unique selling points and really standing out, as you said, particularly with multi-brand, because I know if it is a, you know, fashion, sometimes it can be an, if it's an exclusive or maybe luxury apparel retailer, I'm sure there's Mm -hmm. very different conclusions. So, so good to to clarify that. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so I know you have a whole section. We won't have time to get into all of this, but what I do think is super useful in terms of the report is you do have all of your findings and exactly what loyalty marketers can do within a particular um, vertical um, in order to address the opportunity. And as we said, uh, make sure that they're ready for any potential disruption coming down the track. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So I think the power of this study is that it helps to quantify exactly uh, the importance of different uh, drivers of loyalty on on, uh, behaviors, uh, consumer behaviors. And as a brand, you can then see how you stack up across uh, these different drivers and take a very targeted approach to improving uh, the way that you drive loyalty. Excellent. Excellent. So tell us about the next category then. So beauty retail, a very aspirational category. Tell us what did you find most interesting in terms of the loyalty index for beauty retail? Yeah, so this is really an interesting and slightly unexpected finding in the beauty category. Um, So in terms of predicting loyalty, um, 
share of value is probably uh, uh, probably has the highest uh, weightage right in this category right so it's mm. important that consumers uh, in this category feel that you know that the products that they're buying is value for money and that they feel rewarded uh, buying in this category yeah um and i the hypothesis that we have uh, for why this is the case in in, in the beauty category uh, again keeping in mind that this uh, is for multi brand retailers is that um the Probably the type of brands that different uh, uh, retailers stock uh, would be fairly similar. Yeah. Uh, so to some extent, it becomes a bit of that price competition, right? If I can get the same brand uh, or product from you know retailer A and retailer B, then I certainly just want to get it at the lowest price. So what this really suggests that in this sector, firstly, consumers are a little bit more value driven. Yeah. Um, and this also means that you know that there is that potential for um, uh, beauty retailers to kind of create new pathways to loyalty, right? To kind of break out of that kind of price focus uh, uh, choice that consumers are making. Yeah, and I think that's what we would often talk on the show a lot about. Um, you know, I suppose that shift from transactional loyalty to emotional loyalty. I think in a sector like beauty retail, and it's my skin and it's my my products that are so personal and intimate to me. I guess then the experience becomes a much bigger factor in terms of driving where I'm going to go and buy that product, which, as you said, might be the same product in different stores. So the decision making is um is very much something. Thing that can be influenced, I think. Yep, exactly. And, and going back to the point that uh, we discussed around different pathways to loyalty, I mean, if you look at the beauty category, uh, things like participation, recognition, education, those are also fairly important drivers and predictors uh, of actual behaviors. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'm very passionate about the education one, particularly Eugene, because that's, I suppose, the role that we would see that we have ourselves in terms of an industry. So I hear a lot of kind of guests on on this show, I suppose, talking about things like content marketing and other ways that they can add value. So I think mm-hmm. that's something that you are are really understanding as, as a potential accelerator, particularly in a sector like beauty retail. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, super interesting. So tell us then with the loyalty index, again, with the the threshold of of 70 in terms of where we think a good brand could rank, where there are standouts in this particular category that you discovered? Yeah, so I'm slightly more excited about this category because we have two standout (laughs) brands that have performed above 70 in this category. Uh, What is interesting is that the two brands have very different pathways to loyalty. Again, kind of going back to the concept that there are different ways to craft your proposition and different ways to drive loyalty. Um, And essentially in a way that the you know, the top brand and the, the second brand uh, approach loyalty is pretty much chalk and cheese, right? So they're, they're really kind of different pathways um, to, to kind of drive the consumer loyalty. Absolutely. Different customers, different strategies. So yeah, plenty of yep. room for, for learning and uh, and progressing from there. So again, I know you have lots of recommendations in terms of what the brands can do. And um, mm-hmm. so we'll let people have a look at that when they see the report itself. So moving on then to, I suppose, more of everyday services and um, particularly about our grocery shopping. Tell us mm-hmm. a bit about the loyalty index in grocery in Australia. 
Yeah, so grocery is interesting. And I mean, as we're all aware, there are a couple of big brands out there, you know, could kind of dominate the market to some extent. So, um, you know, you see a lot more kind of multi-brand loyalists uh, in this category. Uh, most people buy from two or three key brands. So that's one thing to to. Uh, take note of. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that is interesting uh, in the grocery category, uh, you know, generally, maybe by conditioning people a little bit more incentive focus. Um, so incentives, uh, essentially financial incentives, it could be discount, rebates, points. Uh, those tend to be a bigger driver in this category uh, compared to other categories that we have looked at. Yeah. And I think I saw as well, Eugene, that there, there, there's probably more propensity, let's say, you know, by age or different demographics as well, perhaps to, to different channels within grocery retail as well. Is there? Yeah, that's a good point. So I think, uh, I mean, I, I think this is not just for the grocery category, but of course, you know, in general, you see the the kind of younger generation, the millennials and the Gen Zs kind of uh, drifting towards social media platforms as well as influencers. Mm -hmm. um, so those are emerging channels uh, for, for the younger generation. Mm. I'll be absolutely fascinated, I suppose, next year to see, you know, is the online influence, you know, really growing because... I do think that's one that's very hard to, to measure and manage, but I do think we all know it's extremely important to get it right. So yeah, definitely interesting to, to see, especially in mature markets like Australia. I was looking at something in the US yesterday as well with online influence, and it's incredible how it can drive loyalty when you've got some of these guys with you know so many followers on all the various channels. So very exciting. Um, and yeah, it struck me, I suppose, as well, Eugene, how unexpectedly important uh, a website and the digital content was even in grocery, because I tend to think of myself as, you know, very much an offline grocery shopper. Again, during the pandemic, that definitely changed. But it does seem, you know, that all of the people in this research report definitely expect that the, the website is up to date and it's very comprehensive in terms of them doing research even before they do grocery shopping. Yep, that's a great point, Paula. So I think when we look across categories, like the website and app of the grocery retailer, it's uh, one of the most important uh, sources of information for the consumer, right, relative to other categories. I think, as you say, a lot of these behaviors are driven by pandemic. And while people traditionally uh, buy gro their groceries in store, I think they're getting a lot more comfortable post-pandemic in terms of buying online. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if people expected that to continue. Um, so again, definitely one to watch. And within, I suppose, the top 10 retailers, did you find some standouts in terms of grocery retailers in Australia? Uh, so how did yeah. you feel about the results in this category? Yeah, so unfortunately, in the grocery category, we only had one standout brand. So the top brand uh, scored above 70. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it was uh, interesting. And for that brand, I think uh, they generally perform well across uh, all the drivers, but they were especially attractive in terms of providing incentives. I think something that I highlighted earlier that's important in the grocery category. Uh, but surprisingly as well, education was a big driver uh, for this brand. 
Wow. Yeah. And I did uh, another point that you guys mentioned, which I thought was important was, you know, the the drive towards uh, or a shift, let's say, in terms of the types of products. So, for example, things like healthier foods, um, lower alcohol consumption as trends that were coming through as well. So definitely some interesting insights in terms of actual behaviors, which, again, probably in some way subconsciously perhaps connected with the fact that we're coming out of this um, but definitely something that I think brands need to keep an eye out for. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So let's get into uh, banking. I do think this is probably the hardest sector to get, you know, let's say the the advocacy, um, you know, because so many of us, I think, are quite complacent in terms of our banking relationships. I certainly am. Um, but banking definitely has its own criteria and its own behavior. So in terms of your loyalty index for Australia, then what did you find for the banking sector? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So the, the the best way that I'll describe the situation is that it, it seems like a lot of consumers uh, in Australia are kind of sleepwalking in their banking relationships. Uh, yeah. You know, the brands that they've kind of grown up with or maybe, you know, recommended by friends and family, they tend to stick with the, the, the brand. So we see that top of mind or share of mind uh, factors kind of dominate in predicting uh, yeah. whether consumers are loyal to the brand or not. Uh, having said that, uh, that, that, what is also interesting is we, we see a standout uh, kind of age segment that is exploring a lot more, right? So people in the middle age, I guess, where their needs uh, as a consumer, um, uh, needs from a consumer bank start to shift, uh, that is when they're actually open to switching behaviors, right? Uh, and potentially move to, to different uh, banking brands. Yeah. And I would have expected that to come out for younger demographics. I don't know about you, but to me, you know, once I, you know, unfortunately got to middle age, my my banking behavior <laughs> does feel like one where I probably make the least amount of, you know, consideration of, of competition, yeah. for example. So, so were you surprised it was that kind of midlife that came out as, you know, exploring um, new opportunities in terms of new banking solutions? Yeah, I, I think probably there are some major financial decisions that happen around that point of time. So we're really kind of talking around the, the kind of mid-30s to early 40s, where potentially you're kind of refinancing your home, buying a new property, uh, preparing for retirement and things like that. So they're the new um, kind of needs and, and they probably have a higher income as well at that point of time, right? So in terms of where to kind of invest their money, uh, thinking about insurance and things like that, does this kind of open up new opportunities for banks? to kind of go in and switch behaviors. That's actually true. I haven't thought about it and I've never worked in banking law to Eugene, but yes, I guess, you know, um, when I was 20 something, it was very much around the current account and getting the basics in place. But yes, as we do start to think about mortgages and things like that, um, yeah, the, the point about stickiness that we talked about earlier is definitely something where I guess the stakes are higher. So you do need to think about this a lot more, huh? Yeah, I think the other thing to highlight as well for the slightly younger consumers, so those between 18 to 34, is that uh, they're increasingly open to digital-only banks and, and fintech platforms, right? So I don't think that's any, it's not surprising, yeah. uh, but I think traditional banks will need to kind of watch out for that, right? As this demographics become more important in the future. For sure. Yes, I think everybody's definitely watching that very closely. 
Um, and again, I suppose what I did love in your accelerators piece was the importance and the opportunity, I guess, for things like, as you've said, participation, personalization, of course, is very well known, but also education. So it does seem to me that, again, this is a sector where education can really accelerate uh, banking loyalty um, as distinct from other you know, uh, competitors, for example. Yeah, what is interesting is that education kind of stands out as uh, one of the top three uh, drivers across categories. So uh, this is just kind of signifies or highlights the importance of education as a loyalty driver. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I will highlight is that for the banking sector, uh, you know, personalization has uh, one of the higher weightages, right, uh, compared to uh, other categories. So uh, it's important, especially in the banking sector, therefore, to think about how you kind of customize your messages to different segments or even to individual consumers uh, to ensure that, you know, whatever offers or messages you put in front of them are relevant to them. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And again, I think we've all been talking about it for a long time, but it's much harder to actually deliver, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, if you think about it, you know, banking is that category where you have this tremendous trove of consumer data, right? So the only question is, are we using it effectively, right, to drive that loyalty? That's absolutely true. Exactly. They can't say they don't have the information. And actually, it is it's there, you know, implicitly. Is it explicitly? No, implicitly, I think is probably the correct word where, again, <laughs> purely your behavior will, will give all of the insights if um, if we can mine it uh, effectively. So I do know that that's something that you guys are doing more and more of actually on the, I suppose, overall consulting side is to, uh, to, to I suppose, really advise uh, loyalty marketers about the opportunity to um to really look at their overall propositions quite strategically um and i suppose think about the platform almost separately once you have a really clear understanding of your data and your proposition and all of those kind of things would that be fair to say yeah, exactly, Paula. I think you couldn't have described it better. I think Epsilon is all about using consumer data in an effective way to drive those, you know, kind of marketing and loyalty outcomes. And, you know, that we really want to kind of build that single view of the customer across all their different interactions with the brand, whether is it online, whether is it offline, um, with could just develop that full view, right, of, of who the customer is and how they would like to engage with the brand and, and then kind of uh, reach out to them uh, based on at the right time with the right offer, you know, with the right message. Totally, totally. Yes. And you have to have all the ducks in a row, dare I say, uh, to be able to deliver on that. So um, super exciting times. So listen, I think that's all the questions I had um, about the detail of the report, Eugene. What would you say are the most important takeaways from the loyalty index for loyalty marketers? Yeah, so I think for me, some of the key takeaways, one is to understand that, you know, you know, you should think about loyalty in a holistic way, that the many things, uh, many factors that, that predict uh, loyalty and you shouldn't uh, just focus on points and rewards and financial incentives, right? So take a balanced approach to influencing loyalty. Think about share of mind, share of heart, share of value. Mm. Um, there are many different pathways to creating uh, that loyalty. So what works for you may not work for another brand. Think about how you can differentiate yourselves uh, from the competition. 
I think the third last point I want to kind of emphasize again is this idea of participation and driving that sense of community uh, with your consumers or your members, uh, making them feel special and, and being part of uh, the brand, right? So I, I think that is something that has come up across all the sectors uh, or categories as being quite important in driving loyalty. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you guys, like like all of us, are very clear that there's no such thing as the job being done. You know, mm -hmm. uh, loyalty is constantly changing, evolving. It's exactly why we spend so much time talking about it on this show. So definitely the more we can educate ourselves and get this type of research, I think that really is the key to making sure that we're hearing uh, exactly what our consumers are telling us so we can earn their loyalty. Because at the end of the day, if they feel it, then of course we benefit as well as businesses. So, so yeah, I think this is um, a phenomenal piece of work, Eugene. I know you've been working on it for uh, probably most of this year, dare I say, at this stage. Um, in terms of people understanding the role of this particular report, um, mm -hmm. as I understand it, of course, there's um, there's a wonderful website available, um, mm -hmm. which is quite simply the epsilonloyaltyindex.com. So anyone can go in and download the report and see exactly what we talked through today. I think it's fair to say all of the um, understanding of how the loyalty index has been built. And um, mm -hmm. there's also details within that. So if it is a brand that wants to understand how they've performed um, in detail, they can obviously reach out. There's, there's details there in terms of how to get the more detailed report. And of course, then after that, I know you guys are doing your loyalty uh, workshops, the loyalty labs. So um, there's always an opportunity to continue the conversation, I think, as and when people are ready for it. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I mean, we, we love to engage with the industry and, you know, the report that we have on the website is a, a quick summary of the study. But really, as you can imagine uh, from our discussion today, there's so much to unpack yeah. uh, and, and do certainly kind of reach out if you want to uh, do a bit of a deep dive into your category, understand how your brand is performing and really kind of develop a strategy that's going to work for you in terms of uh, driving uh, customer loyalty. Absolutely. Well, we'll make sure, Eugene, to link to your profile on LinkedIn, of course, and in the show notes for this particular episode. The other thing that I thought uh, we should mention today is we are putting together an even more exciting, from my perspective, um, supporting piece of um, information, which is an entire podcast series, which is dedicated to the Australian market. It will be also called the Epsilon Loyalty Index, and we'll be doing audio insights using exactly what we've learned from all of this incredible research. So whether people want to download the report and read it or also listen to it in the car when they're driving to work, we're going to have lots of information. So we'll be going live with the actual podcast dedicated to the loyalty index as well in a couple of weeks time. So we'll be making sure to let all of your customers and anyone interested in Australia know exactly how to listen to the loyalty index podcast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, that's, that's great. Looking forward to it. Yes, yeah, so much going on. Listen, that's all the questions I have from my side, Eugene. Do you have any, I suppose, parting words of wisdom before we wrap up? No, I would say, you know, two things. One is definitely think about the whole brand and customer experience. When you think about loyalty, it's not just about the loyalty program. Um, the second thing, of course, go download the report on the site. Uh, I think it's in the show notes over here. Um, and, and do reach out if you have any questions. 
Absolutely. So listen, on that note, I want to say thank you so much. I know, again, it's a busy trip there in Australia. So Eugene Yap, Head of Consulting, Strategy and Analytics for Epsilon in Asia Pacific. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks for having me. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 245 executives in 27 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.